Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. From the ragged heart of the Rust Belt, this is Great Lakes Confidential with your hosts, Angie and Marty. Welcome to Great Lakes Confidential. Hey. How are you? I'm all right. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. So today we're recording and it is Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners. Belated by the time you hear this. Happy belated Valentine's Day. And uh, happy anniversary to us. Happy anniversary, baby. It's (laughs) It's our five year anniversary. And I wasn't really like had I planned this out better. This show would have been about like some of the trips that we've taken. Because that would make sense, right? Talk about us on our anniversary. Sure, but you also keep in mind we are just the hosts of this uh, amazing program. It's not necessarily always about our trips as much as it is about neat things to do. Well, anyways. I mean, the whole whole series is basically about our trips in one way or another. Everything is about me in one way or another. Yeah. Oops, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. That's all right. We already figured it out. Happy anniversary, Happy babe. Anniversary. I already figured it out. Yeah, you, you you figured it out a long time ago. So, all right. So I want to start this episode by reminding all of our listeners that we are not experts by any stretch of the imagination. We're not experts on Michigan. We're not experts on anything, really. We are a couple <laughs> of dinglings that like what we like. Yeah, like the majority of the information that we share is from research that I do on Google while I'm watching television. So I do my best to fact check what I find, but I can also... Did you get called out or something? No, 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 no. I just, I was just thinking about it the other day and it was like, you know, I should probably make sure that people are aware that we don't, you know, advertise ourselves as any sort of super knowledgeable people or experts. We're just people that Google stuff and we've traveled a little bit and we... We've got a passion for the state. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So some of the information might not be (laughs) right. So some of our information might not be a hundred percent correct, but that's Mm -hmm. why I also welcome our listeners to email us and let me know if something is wrong because I'm I'm all about that. I want especially restaurant closures. We discuss a restaurant that's no longer open. Let us know. Yeah, yeah. So the the biggest reason why we do this podcast though is to inspire other people to go out to learn about our state or your state, if you're listening in another state or another country, learn about your 
specific geographic location. Spend money locally. Yeah, and and explore. You know, that's that's what we're that's what we're hoping to do is to inspire you to explore on your own, gather your own information. Don't take everything that we say as being, you know, the final end all be all because we don't know what we're doing. We're flying by the seat of our pants. We're having right. a blast, but we're not experts. We just want to inspire you. So I just wanted to make sure that that was... Share your cool stories from your states. For sure. For sure. So we love folklore and good restaurants. All kinds of stuff. That's what I like. I do love food. And I like other stuff too, like magic. Yes. That's what we're talking about today. No kidding. We're talking about magic? <laughs> oh my God. How'd you figure it out? Oh, I did. It was just a wild guess, but it's the luckiest... <laughs> I feel like the luckiest boy on the planet. Oh God. Located in Marshall, Michigan, the American Museum of Magic has been open since 1978. It is located in downtown Marshall and holds artifacts from notable magicians like Houdini, Blackstone, Thurston, and more. Have you been to this place before? I haven't been. I mean, I've been to Marshall, but as far as all the magical stuff involved, I haven't specifically been there for that. I know you have. Actually, we went to Colon, which we'll talk about too. Yeah, which is near Marshall, right? And there's also a, a, a... a uh, company, a uh, big magic company that that's run out of Marshall, I believe, or is that in Colon as well? I think it's in Colon. I did my research like two mm-hmm. weeks ago, so I I didn't reread it again today. But I believe what you're referring to is in Colon. But Marshall is by Colon Battle Creek. Yeah, it's kind of between Battle Creek Jackson-ish, isn't it? Like just off of. Uh... I think it's US more 12. south than Jackson, I do Yeah, think. like like Jackson Central. I would say it's sort of the Kalamazoo-ish? southwest central. Maybe not quite to Kalamazoo, but somewhere okay. between like Jackson and Kalamazoo. So yeah, Battle Creek. We'll put it at Battle okay. Creek. So this, so the American Museum of Magic, which I, to be honest, I had no idea existed. Because I, when I think of magic in Michigan, I think of Colon. I didn't realize that Marshall was where this museum was. And yeah, I mean, it's the same where area. Where a lot of it started. Yeah, it's all kind of the same area. So the museum was founded by Detroit area journalist Robert Lund and his wife Elaine and was comprised of Robert's personal collection of magician archives and artifacts. It has grown to be one of the largest, one of the world's largest and greatest in the field, including, quote, apparatus and illusions, more than 12,000 books on conjuring, letters, diaries, memorabilia, photographs, 3,000 posters, scrapbooks and periodicals, costumes, and approximately 350,000 pieces of ephemera, ephemera, ephemera. You know, that's a word that I just read and I never try to speak. Just say memorabilia. Well, it's a word for sure. Magic historian, author, and illusionist Jim Steinmeier has called the museum the Smithsonian of American magic. The uh, the amazing Steinmeier said so. To get back to the, the uh, Marshall colon connection to stage magic in America, was it, uh, I believe it was Blackstone? The magician Blackstone, who first really um, made his uh, made his mark known in Michigan. Yes, uh, I believe he was a resident of the area, or he was originally from the area, and would often return and and sort of uh, pump money and magic into the local economy. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're gonna get to that in a moment. All right. Yeah, that was way back in the twenties, nineteen twenties. Like that's sort of the start of the magical history of Marshall and Colon. Yes. 
and it has also expanded. He is buried, I believe, in Colon. Yeah, a lot of magicians. Yeah, are. he was the first to be buried in Colon, and it sort of started a, a magician, uh, sort of like what we were talking about the Showman's Rest in Chicago, which has become like a, a circus uh, burial ground. Oh, okay. This yeah. sort of uh, out in in Colon is like a a magician burial ground. Yeah, it's. Um, I went there to the um, cemetery. It's it's a beautiful, it's a nice little place. It's very pretty. Yeah, there's a lot of magicians buried there. So back to the museum. Mr. Lund occasionally gave tours of the collection. And following his death in 1995, Elaine, his wife, took over ownership and incorporated the collection and then received 501c3 status. So it is a nonprofit. In 1998, she purchased the former public library building in Marshall to better house the archival and library collections. When Elaine passed away in 2006, both properties and collections were transferred to the new nonprofit museum located on Michigan Avenue. During the winter months, so in Michigan, they consider that to be December through March, it feels like much longer. Visits to the museum are by appointment only. The first floor of the museum is wheelchair accessible. Parking is free. Admission is less than $10. And they also do group tours and field trips. So now this is where we're going to get to the origins of magic. Because how did this happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's what I always like to know is the... We were talking about stuff this morning. And I'm like, but why? Why did it start? When did it start? Right. And that's the same thing. I was like... I figured magic kind of only went back to like Harry Houdini mm-hmm. and I was really wrong, <laughs> like very, very wrong. So according to the American Museum of Magic's website, evidence of magic may go as far back as 2500 BCE in Egypt. A magician named, and I'm not sure if this is Dedi or Dedi, D-E-D-I, a magician named Dedi was portrayed on an Egyptian papyrus. 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 Performing an animal decapitation trick for the pharaoh. A tomb painting dating from 21st century BCE shows two men sitting at a table with inverted cups. Some interpret this as being the first cup and balls routine, but not everybody agrees that this is a magic trick. They aren't really sure what it is but they're like no that's that doesn't depict but they're the dead trick. set that the other one that that yeah. daddy is is doing a magic trick yeah. for the fair how why isn't that just like a sacrifice i'm i don't know that's no, that one's I'm... the trick but right. these guys with the, the cups and the balls <laughs> right. these are these guys are just having a party over here that's ice i never understand how it's people... not a ball it's ice yeah i don't Those are beers yeah iced beers iced and beers that's how they drank them in, in egypt i'm always i'm always curious how archaeologists and and um other scientists people that i can't think of what they're called how they how they historians i don't mm-hmm. understand I, I anthropologists paleontologists yeah i'm these. always very curious how they decide like how how they read the fossil record yeah and how their they interpretation interpret, you know? is it's just like oh okay i mean if i would if i saw something like that i'd be like yeah those are cups because they're drinking out of them right yeah. like like i mean not to get too divergent off the topic but anthro or Archaeology is basically the study of garbage. Yeah. And something to remember too. So it's sort of funny that we 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 try to put together all these things and glean some sort of amazing insight through garbage. Right. Basically. Yeah. Like the important things from that civilization are long gone. <laughs> it's just the garbage that we you know, like like uh, you go to uh King Tut. King Tut was a uh, a very forgettable pharaoh in Egypt. Like Egypt they it, through the evidence of the the funeral, the the funerary and the burial circumstances and all that, King Tut was a 
was not one of the major pharaohs in Egypt. They mm-hmm. it seemed almost like the way he was buried and all that 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 the Egyptian people just wanted to forget about him. Yet because his tomb remained relatively untouched from from um, people you know stealing throughout the years and all mm-hmm. that, we we have a more complete record of King Tut than we do of a lot of other pharaohs. So in our minds, King Tut is like the preeminent pharaoh of Egypt, even though he was you know kind of like the Jimmy Carter yeah. of Egypt. Like someone that they just don't really talk about, forget about. Anyway, it's funny. That's the historical record. Yeah. So in 50 CE, magic as a performance art was reliably documented. So a group of magicians called the, and I'm totally going to screw this up, Acetabulary. Acetabulary. I don't know. Yeah. A-C-E-T-A-B-U-L-A-R-I-I. Anyways, that group of magicians performed the cups and balls routine in ancient Rome for about 250 years. Wow. And again, the idea that this is magic is funny to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, I don't know. It's very strange. So there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of information on magic from about 400 to 1500 CE, but much of it was most likely associated with the occult. Until the 18th century, magic shows were commonplace entertainment at fairs and private shows were put on for rich patrons. In 1845, Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin opened a magic theater in Paris. Today, he is known as the father of modern magic. He transformed magic from something only performed at fairs to a performance the public paid to see in a theater. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the very like super brief history of magic, like very condensed version of it. You can go to the museum though in Marshall, and they've got I mean they've got like I said thousands mm-hmm. and thousands of things that you can look at, and it's and it's also a library, so they've got tons of educational material as well, so that you can learn whatever your little heart desires about magic. So now we're gonna come back to Michigan and figure out where Michigan fits into all of this. So for one, Colon, Michigan is the magic capital of the world. In the mid-1920s, Harry Blackstone, your guy, who was one of the most famous magicians in the country at the time, chose Colon as his summer residence for his traveling illusion show. Because air conditioning didn't exist and sitting in a large theater during July and August was just too much, traveling shows typically used this time to regroup. A couple of years following his first vacation to Colon, Blackstone invited friend and fellow magician Percy Abbott to visit from Australia. Abbott liked being Abbott, that's right. Abbott liked being there, so he married a local woman, and he and Blackstone formed the Blackstone Magic Company. Apparently, Blackstone and Abbott got into a fight, dissolved the company, and never spoke again. Abbott then established Abbott's Magic Company, which eventually became the largest manufacturer and retailer of magic equipment in the world. Mm -hmm. I cannot find anything anywhere that says why those two got into a fight. It's lost to history and stuff like that happens. I'm sure it was a business read. But yeah, Abbott Magic is basically the General Motors of magical supply. Yeah. And when I say magical supply stuff, I mean, you know, stage magic, of course. We're not talking about, you know, hoodoo ceremonies. Yes. In 1935, Abbott started an annual gathering of magical performers known as Abbott's Magic Get-Together. The event grew and grew, and with no hotels and few restaurants in the area, townspeople would allow magicians to rent out spare rooms, and churches and civic groups would serve meals. 
To this day, every August, amateur magicians, perform professional performers, and magic fans visit Colon to learn new tricks and techniques, purchase magic, and attend shows. That's when Gambit and I went. Yeah. I think it must have been the summer before quarantine really hit us, I, I believe, because it wasn't... I'm not sure when it was, but it was a few years ago. I remember yeah. that you went down there. That was a lot of fun, but it wasn't as big as... Right, like you expected more of a festival, whereas it's more of just a continuing, almost like learning, yeah, uh, like seminars and all that. Like it's it's a festival definitely set up for more of the uh, the people who are interested in performing yeah. than they are uh, just being fans. Like it's not necessarily made for the casual fan like you and I. Like oh yeah, I want to see some card tricks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's for people who want to learn the card tricks. Yeah. People want to be awed by the new tricks that somebody has brought in like the real hardcore you know yeah. practitioners of the dark arts the coolest thing was inside of the little theater building that they have there uh -huh. where you can also you can buy magic tricks and there is somebody there that can teach you how to use yeah. a couple of them but what i found really interesting and cool was that the walls and the ceilings were just plastered in old circus and performing and magic yeah. posters i love that stuff it was so so cool i mean just to see like the old artwork and it was really neat and then but yeah it was it was super hot and it was just well it was very warm that day but uh there was a guy on the street corner that had like the rings that he was mm -hmm. snapping through and you know doing different things and some different card tricks and stuff for the kids and you could go on like a horse and buggy ride and it was really it was it was cool i just i was expecting like a right. large festival and it wasn't it wasn't that like but, more things to appeal to the casual fan yeah yeah but it was it was really neat maybe one day it'll become that but uh who knows? I I, uh, I like magic. I'm glad that there's a connection here in Michigan. I, I find that incredibly fascinating because, you know, magic is sort of like the redheaded stepchild of the performing arts. <laughs> like you talk to it and like people always claim they don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's like that it's so corny or whatever. Or people want to spend so much time trying to figure out the tricks. I don't want to figure out the tricks. No. Like that's what I love about magic is that I don't know how it's done. And I don't want to know how it's done. Right. I just want to see the illusion. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what kind of why I still find it enjoyable. No, I love it. I And what else I really loved about it is that my now 12-year-old was just watching him, watching his face, you know, just be so in awe by these things mm -hmm. that were happening in front of him. And I'm so interested in how your your eyes are able to look at something and see what's happening, but by the time it gets to your brain, it's not what you thought you saw. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's why I really love that show Brain Games. Because it's like they're all illusions and stuff and it's it's just so crazy to me that you can be watching somebody do like a sleight of hand and still your your brain is like you're just like blown away when you're like well how did that happen yeah. like i didn't take my eyes off of you how did you how did you do that it's so fascinating to me i love it i think it's awesome yeah do you have any uh favorite uh magicians in michigan i don't know any magicians what, what isn't that what this, this show's about aren't we uh i mean i i have you got blackstone i've got information you know in front of me about mm -hmm. what i researched but i've never like growing up magic wasn't really a thing that i it was when i grew up i don't recall like i'm sure we probably had like um what are those like a 
pep assembly or whatever at school and a, a magician came out we just always had like cops tell us not to t- take drugs at those things but you guys had a magician i mean in elementary school yeah they you know nine times out of ten that's what the that's that's what the bottom line was was telling you to stay off drugs but there was yeah. always something crazy going on i do remember a guy you're that gonna ripped- make all your chances all your life chances disappear oh my God. like one of those things yeah, yeah like yeah, if yeah. you do drugs your future's gonna disappear i do remember a guy ripping a giant phone book in half oh yeah one of those tough guys is, yeah. is he also the type of guy who would take the hot water bottle and uh blow into it until it exploded i don't remember no because that. that's a real tough man trick see that the uh the phone book thing is a trick i can I show you how to do it yeah I, I i i realize that now but when i was in you know like fourth grade it was yeah. it was mind-blowing but i used to do that when i worked at the library rip library books in half show people it was not. a trick you did not. A number of retired magicians and vaudevillian, vaudevillian performers spent their remaining days in Colon, Michigan, with many buried in the local cemetery, as you said. Even magicians who have never lived in Colon have requested burial plots there. Aside from Colon, there are some other really cool magic-related things in, in our state that I was not aware of. Magic is alive in the Great Lakes, by the way. Not Michigan. I mean, Michigan, yes, but this might not be a Michigan story. Harry Houdini from neighboring Wisconsin, Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. All right. While you're still looking, I'll throw in some more factoids. I've got it. (laughs) A magician from Michigan is the amazing Jonathan. Oh, that guy? Mm Mm-hmm. He's from Michigan? Yes. Where at? Um, I don't know if he's originally from Detroit, but his career started in Detroit as a comedian, magician, comedian. Mm. Started at the Comedy Castle. All right supposed to do his last show before he died at the comedy castle but then he just didn't die you saw that documentary that's a documentary for another day that's a documentary yeah yeah that was we're not gonna talk about that so the first known magic performance in michigan was october 30th 1837 which is also the same year that we became a state right yeah 1837 i think so by munch munch by munch my French isn't very, very good. Monsieur? Mon- yes. Blanc? Monsieur Blanc? Yes. Mr. White? Yes. The American Museum of Magic's website says that there's nothing known about Blanc or his performance. Can confirm. I went looking for him. I was digging around on the internet for quite some time. The only thing I found was a, na- a man named Francois Blanc who lived from 1806 to mm-hmm. 1877. So the timing would have been right, but like it, the the Wikipedia for this guy didn't say anything about him being a magician. So yeah. I mean, I, it also sounds like a a nom de guerre, as the French would say, a fake assumed name. Yeah, I mean, totally. for performance uh, reasons. Yeah, Mister White was his name. Yeah, well, that's pretty basic. I mean, I have a friend, and his last name is Black. Yeah, but this so. is Monsieur Blanc, the uh, the magician, the the French Canadian <laughs> magician, Monsieur Blanc. <laughs> Ann Arbor is the short-run book capital of the U.S. A short-run book is generally defined as a limited printing of 500 copies or less. And being that most books about magic are short-run books, and Ann Arbor is a leading producer of short-run books in the country, magicians from all over come to Ann Arbor to arrange their book printings. Wow. Did you know that? No, I I didn't know that. That's... Something I didn't think about. It is crazy. The uh, the we we. I don't want to give away too many magician secrets. Luckily, I don't know too many of them. Yeah. But uh, you know, talking about books and supplies and tricks and all this stuff. When you it, like go and look at 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 the uh, the catalog for Abbott Magical Supply. Look at the catalog and see, and it, it'll blow your mind. Like just 
how much like like tricks really are tricks yeah and how like all these like little little pieces of hardware that you don't think about that that can assist them with their tricks and all mm-hmm. that like maybe you don't want to look maybe you don't want to figure out how any of it's done but it is crazy that there is this entire market designed to like build these these gimmicks and and write these books designed solely to fool people yeah and in the wrong hands i imagine they could do a lot of damage probably yes the douglas macarthur bridge or the belle isle bridge as it's sometimes called was the scene for one of the most famous houdini myths involving a trick called the overboard packing box escape so the story goes that houdini escaped the frozen detroit river on a bitter cold day A hole was cut in the river. The box containing Houdini was lowered through the hole and he was able to free himself from the restraints, finding a, quote, sliver of air that provided just enough oxygen to work his way back up through the hole. The escape happened, but it was in November of 1906. The river was not frozen and he had a 113 foot lifeline around his waist. He escaped two sets of handcuffs and the box, but no ice. Hmm. Sorry to ruin that fantasy well, for you Well, I mean, guys. a lot of magic is selling the sizzle, if not That's necessarily true. selling the steak. That's true. Now we're going to discuss Houdini a little further, yep. his history in the city. So Harry Houdini's connection to Detroit wasn't just the river escape. He died in Detroit on October 31st, 1926 of periantitis, secondary to a ruptured appendix. Mm-hmm. Witnesses to an incident in Montreal, Canada, stated that Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead approached Houdini asking if he, quote, believed in the miracles of the Bible and whether it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. Houdini said something about his stomach being able to endure a lot. This dude wailed on him. But before he was able to brace himself, he was reclining on a couch resting a broken ankle. Whitehead began punching him. Houdini performed that evening, but in great pain. He remained in pain for about two days before seeking medical medical attention, at which point he was running a high fever and suffering acute appendicitis. Emergency surgery was recommended and refused. On October 24th, Houdini arrived at the Garrick Theater in Detroit, where he performed with a fever of 104 degrees. He passed out during the show, was revived, and continued. Following the show, he was hospitalized at Grace Hospital, where he died a week later at the age of 52. Yes. Now, the old theater is now the Majestic down in down on Woodward, and the old hospital, I believe, is the Children's Hospital. That's just today. so crazy. Yeah, it is, because, I mean, Houdini is considered the greatest of all time. Yeah. You know, the Michael Jordan of magic he was really young like i didn't realize yeah. how young he was because everyone looks so old back well, then. it was a real hard scrabble life yeah that's true like in all the photos everyone's so serious and hard looking and all that but uh yeah you know nobody really lived beyond 50 back then well he made it to 52 but just i mean mm-hmm. i'm just blown away by the whole way that this happened you know just yeah it is a crazy story and the kid who punched him in the stomach's a real jerk but uh i don't think that i think what i read like that the stomach punches didn't necessarily contribute to his death like i don't think the stomach punch punches ruptured his appendix right that's why the guy wasn't charged right like it just sort of provided cover for the fact that he had a ruptured appendix that didn't get caught because he just thought it was the stomach punches but still what kind of an idiot's like you know Hey, Houdini, I heard you can take punches in the stomach. Honestly. Yes, well, I could. Pre- oh, like he just starts slugging him before even, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, like the like Houdini barely got it. Let me get some chops in on you. And just starts throwing punches while this dude's laying on a couch and he doesn't get arrested. Yeah, it's so... It's Who just the hell a- would ever want to be famous? <laughs> That's all I got to say. Who wants to be famous? Is this what you got to deal with? This guy was supposedly a fan, too. Yeah. Hey, Houdini, I'm your biggest fan. Let me give you some one-twos to the belly. Right. It's very... The whole thing is very strange. It's mm-hmm. very strange. But And it sucks that that's the way that he went out i, I mean, mean it's a story it's a great story actually how else are you supposed to go out you know like i don't know now maybe there's a... performing an actual trick well he did perform tricks and then he died in the hospital on devil's night i believe wasn't it october 30th he died and yeah. now there's um devil's night became sort of an unofficial you hate to say a holiday in detroit but yeah you know you hate to say celebrate too but i think detroit acknowledges devil's night yeah. more than other places it's do. definitely a regional thing right yeah. we don't have to get into it but Not it's today. a it's a regional time of year right. in Detroit. Um, I think it added to the mystique of Houdini going down as an all-time legend. Yeah, for sure. Dying so close to Halloween that they they have um, seances in the hospital every year to try to contact him. Yeah. So, you know, it really adds to his mystique. Not saying that, that death was a great career move. The guy surely <laughs> had more, more, more money to make, left money on the table by going so early. But, you know, it definitely added to his mystique. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, if a guy's got to die somewhere, he died in Detroit. We got the story. Thank you. Yeah, we got two two pretty good Houdini stories. Yeah. I like I like the, I mean, this happens all the time, obviously. It's like playing the game telephone, you know. But I love how the story, oh, I love how the Belle Isle Bridge story turned into, you know, this thick ice and that he had to escape yeah. and all this other stuff. And it's like, there was no ice. There was nothing. I mean, it was November. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, the sizzle again. Selling yeah, the sizzle, just, not the steak. I love it. It's very back then. Funny. You didn't have video recorders and right. you didn't stream any of this stuff. And yeah. <laughs> no live coast to coast television. It just had to travel word of mouth through newspapers. Right. So, like the game of telephone. Dateline, and Detroit. Harry Houdini up. survives. Yeah. A frozen river so in you, Detroit. So you have a magician story. I do, kind of. Growing, uh, growing up, I think he's Michigan's greatest magician. All right. Uh, he is known. Um, his name is uh, Jim Carmody. He is known uh, colloquially as the Burger King magician. <laughs> As a child growing up in the 80s and 90s here in Michigan, I grew up in Farmington Hills, and we had a Burger King right there on Orchard Lake and 13 Mile Road that had a stage built on the inside. And it was one of those things you're like, why is there why is there like a stage? Like, it wasn't the Fox Theater or anything. You know, it was just like this tiny <laughs> yeah. little stage, but it was still taking seats away in the dining room of this Burger King. And it was just like, why is there a stage in this Burger King? And you walk up close, and there's all sorts of pictures Around the stage of this, you know, red-faced man performing magic, and it was always like, wow, this. I mean, it's for parties or whatever, but it's just the fact that we had a magical theater inside of a Burger King was very baffling, and you would never see the 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 shows. You know, like you knew they were there, you just assume it was like you know kids' parties. They they clearly got to rent the place out, and this magician right. shows up for kids' parties. But uh, one day, you know, as a uh, near do well teenager with a friend of mine in tow, we uh, Saturday afternoon ended up you know skateboarding over to the old Burger King, and lo and behold, the Burger King magician was there performing rock and roll for some kids yeah and uh you know we're we're some smart mouth punks just sitting in the back enjoying our french toast sticks or whatever we were eating at the time and he caught us uh you know maybe whispering and laughing in the back and he stopped his whole show and he was like did you say something did you kids say something and we just quickly like no sir and he's like yeah that's what i thought 
So it's just crazy. Like, I, we got put in place by the Burger King magician. Who, yeah. I, you know, as years have gone on and I've thought about it, like, this guy had to have been a guy who owned or was a co-owner or owner of that Burger King. Yeah. And just kind of threw his magic act in as as something for, for the kids' parties and yeah. all that. But, uh, you know, when you're a kid, it's it's incredible because, I don't know, maybe when we were younger, fast food restaurants were a lot cooler than they are now. Now it seems like the lobbies aren't even open most of the right. time. But back then, it was like they really tried to make these wonderlands for children. Oh, yeah, they were amazing. Really, really tried to make the, uh, you know, no, we want you to have your party. I remember yeah. being a kid and, like, going to birthday parties yeah. at McDonald's. Yeah, well, like you yeah, spend like had three the hours. Playland. Yeah, the Playland was incredible. You just spend, like, three hours at a McDonald's, yeah. and you might as well have been at Cedar Point. And like, you don't even care. completely normal. Mm-hmm. It was... It was encouraged. It was amazing. And now it's just like people just do not even want to look no. you in the eye in these restaurants. No. And for this man who owned this Burger King, I'm still going to say he owned it. He might not have. If I'm wrong, please correct me. If anybody knows, correct me. But I believe he owned this Burger King. And he was he was genius enough to turn it into, you know, I've got this hobby too. Or, you know, I shouldn't even say hobby because he was good at it. You know, maybe it was just, uh, you know, I've got this other career too. And I'm going to tie the two together. I'm going to build myself a stage inside my Burger King, and I'm going to sell myself for children's shows. It's a genius idea. It's so funny to me. Yeah. Like, all I picture is, like, he's got a wife at home that is like, you are not going to be a full-time magician. You are going to get a job. And he was like, all right, I'm going to show her. And right. And he, he bought a Burger King. <laughs> Built a stage and was like, boom. It was like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Just said to her, then made all of her worries disappear. Oh, my God. That's something. Mm -hmm. So according to WNYC Studios, only about 8% of magicians are women. And it just so happens that Michigan was blessed with one of the best. Oh, yeah? So born in 1913 in Chicago, June Warsaw was a trailblazer when it came to women magicians. Her father, Abe, was a magician. He taught all of his children magic, but June was the only one who maintained it as a lifelong pursuit. June and her family moved to Grand Rapids in search of a better life when she was young, and by the age of 12, she was an apprentice of sorts to her father and eventually began earning her own money as a magician. She used the money she saved to get an education at the University of Michigan, Magic also had a role in her meeting her husband, Sam Horowitz, though the story there is pretty unclear. She pursued a career in education, taught math at Ottawa Hills High School, Grand Rapids Junior College, and Marywood Academy. She stayed active in magic, earning the best female magician in the U.S. and England by the Magicals, and she was one of only two women to ever perform at Society of Canadian Magicians Convention. She worked with many organizations, including the League of Women Voters, the Urban League, and the International Brotherhood of Magic. In 1987, she became the first female president of the International Brotherhood of Magic. She died at the age of 104 in her Grand Rapids home on June 27th of 2018. Wow. I'm saying. So she lived a long, happy life. And good for her. Good for her being a trailblazer. I think women don't get enough credit in magic because yeah. too often, and I don't think it's the, the magician, necessarily the magicians or the industry that doesn't give them the credit. I think it's the fans. 
Yeah. And don't give them the credit because oftentimes, you know, you'll see these, you know, duo acts where it's like the focus is on the, the male magician and he's got his female assistant. And right. as a member of the audience, like, you know, you're like, oh, she's just there as eye candy without realizing that she's 75% of the show. Right. Like she's doing so much that you're not even paying attention to, it, you know, like it's just weird with the with things like the performing arts to to really give people credit as trailblazers mm-hmm. is sort of strange because it's like i don't know it's it, maybe i'm talking myself into a a corner here like i'm not trying to take anything away from her being a trailblazer but i think there's also a lot of a lot of forgotten figures because they were just considered you know oh the assistant oh yeah no there there's there's definitely other female magicians that were you know that really there was one or two before her and then, you know, many, many after her. But she was the one that I found that was more yeah. focused at, she in, was the focal in Michigan. Point of her act. Yeah, yeah. And she was she was in Michigan, you know, and mm-hmm. she did a lot of stuff for different organizations in our state. And she was, you know, she lived a long life. I mean, hundred and four. Right. Holy cannoli. That's amazing. And it's like, sadly, too, it's like, I don't know the name of the amazing Jonathan's assistant. Right. You know, I know his name. I don't know her name. Yeah. And that's that's sad. And that's why this that's why this is my favorite thing, because there's so many times when women are overlooked in friggin everything. And she deserves the credit. You know, she deserves to be to be to have a spotlight shine, you know, shown on her because she was. She was really doing it, you know. And you and I are definitely on the same page on yeah. that. We just took different routes to get there. Yeah, her dad taught her, at, you know, real yeah. young how to do these tricks, and she was like, "Heck yeah, man! I'm gonna make a living out of this." And she, she freaking rocked it. Yeah, it's boom! So cool. So I love it. Made her debt disappear. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to stop doing mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I'm getting a look. Um, so that is. Pretty much all the magic that I found for Michigan. It's pretty much all the magic there is in Michigan. No, there's plenty of magic. In well, Michigan. I mean, but you know what I mean, right? For this Stage particular, magic. yes, for this particular show, that's 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 what I found. That was most interesting to me. So that's the stuff that I wanted. Like David to share. Copperfield had some sort of Michigan connection too. Oh, really? I think maybe it's just you know property. He owned some property out here, oh, maybe okay. by Traverse City. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Could be starting a rumor. Who knows? <laughs> We'll just make that little idea disappear. Oh, my God. No, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I was thinking David Copperfield owns an island in the Bahamas. And that's what I was thinking instead wow. of. Yeah. That's pretty. But somehow I can also. Well, no, he's got to own a place in Michigan, right? It's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that own places in Michigan. So yeah, I got it confused. Yeah. I was thinking it was Mario Batali. He owns a place in Michigan, but we don't talk about him anymore. Yeah, that's... And he's not a magician. No. The thing he made was his career disappear. Oh, my God. Carry on. Okay, no. We have to end this now because I know what you're going to do. You're going to just keep saying that. You're going to just keep no. saying it. No. Gotta... <laughs> so if you know, if there's any Michigan-based magicians that I've missed i'm sure there are i'm absolutely positive that there are i would love to hear about them i'd love to hear if there's a magic show coming up sometime soon that you know yeah we should talk about or i don't know like that's the thing like i don't ever 
I don't follow magicians, so I don't know when there's Yeah, a- it's kind of hard to follow, especially as an adult. Like, you can't really acknowledge, like, oh, I'm a big magician, I'm a big fan of magic. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't seem to inspire the uh, the public fan base of other art forms. Yeah, and that's like nobody weird. really proudly talks about their favorite magician. You don't see people like in Copperfield shirts and That is very strange now that you point that out. I mean, there are a couple of people that I that I know are like kind of weirdly into magicians, but but we're talking about the people that go to Vegas and are like yeah. seeing these people on the on the Vegas strip. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't I don't think I have I mean there's a magician on Mackinac Island, I believe, isn't there? Like a magic theater? Some dude owns a little magic theater. Oh that's says cool. magic shows over the summer. Huh. Might have to check into that. That's cool. I I mean even though I might know how some of the tricks are done. You don't know how they're all done. I don't know how they're all done. And I just, if there's a magician somewhere nearby, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm going to pay like $70 a ticket, but, you know, I might pop in and might see what's going on. Might group on that if you can get a trick <laughs> Right, one. exactly. And I mean, again, Gambit loves that stuff. Gambit is so fascinated by, you know, those couple little tricks that he bought, he was practicing them in the backseat of the car yeah. the whole ride home, and he was thrilled to show you how to do it. He was thrilled to show you the trick and then show you, you know, the the ins and outs of it. Like, he loves that stuff. So yeah. when my kids are excited about things, I get excited about things. So if he wants to go see some magic shows, let's let's do it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm game. So, so, yeah. But back to it. Yes, if anybody has any fun stories about magicians or... You know, they know more. You guys know more about ma- magic in Michigan. Shoot us an email. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd love to hear about it. Type up something, hit that return button, and make it disappear. I'm going to make you disappear. Okay. It's time to go. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> so don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Great Lakes Confidential on Facebook and Instagram. You can email us at greatlakesconfidential at gmail.com. And listen to the other shows on Joy Road Media. We've got a lot of cool shows on the network currently, and we will be bringing on some some new ones soon. So we're really excited to um, to share that that n- the new stuff with you guys. So. Yeah. And on that note, we are heading out. Disappear. Goodbye. <laughs>